0: Welcome to the Church 214 Podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. As was said before, this is our last Sunday of 2020. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. What a year it has been. Yeah. It's been a year full of... uh, Confusion. Uh, a year full of winnowing and refining. Uh, it's been a year full of change. We are no longer at Monarch. We also have started renovation at 307, which is awesome. Yes. Um, quick side note, actually. This has nothing to do with my message or my notes. Uh, I didn't ask anybody permission to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, so we... This also does not cut into my message time, by the way. So this does not count. Um, so we, we, we are still uh, behind on our loan for the renovation at 307. Uh, and this is, this is no guilt trip. This is no whatever. Uh, but if the Lord is leading you to give to anything, it's the end of the year. There's Christmas bonuses coming in and stip checks and what have you. And if God is leading you to say, you know what? what, what do I do with this money? Uh, I would just ask you to consider uh, paying into God's house. Um, and if you feel guilty about doing that, I want nothing to do with your money. Yeah. But if it's going to be a joyous sacrifice, you say, you know what, God has blessed me so much this year. It's been a crazy year, and yet I still have been blessed. Think about giving some of that back to building God's house. So. That didn't count for my message time. So, uh, so this is the last week in our uh, Afterlife for Heaven series, and I really wish we could do this series for like another four or five weeks because there's just so much uh, packed into this topic. And for those of you that don't know or haven't been here, uh, apart from the Bible, which is what everything that we do is based on, this series was also born out of inspiration from a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Uh, and the, we have little primers or pamphlets of that book back out in the, in the foyer. Um, that one, that, that one was for you, Chris, you're welcome. Um, and, uh, th- those are free. Everybody like take as many as you want, uh, Preferably one for family so that people can have more, so not as many as you want. But I would, I would really encourage you. The full book is just super detailed, and it's awesome, and it's like 15 or 20 bucks on Amazon. Please go pick it up. It is by far one of the best books that I've read in a while, so go ahead and do that. Um, and Ryan and Katie did a great job uh, kind of leading us off, and so we're going to keep uh, going with that series today. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started and try and get through this before next Sunday. Father, we just, uh, we thank you for this place. Thank you for Revive. God, would you just bless this church, bless this building. Um, God, thank you for 2020. Thank you for a year of challenges, a year of refining, um, a year of uh, revealing and exposing things. God, by the power of your spirit, would you give us your perspective? On 2020 and so God now I pray that your spirit would just come into this place I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds about you would uh, what you would have to say about heaven and about how we should live our lives in light of that so God would you just empower my imperfect words in Jesus name amen so where I want to start today is really just to give you a, a brief overview of all of cosmic history, which is why I said we'll try and get through this before next Sunday. I'm, I'm kidding, only half kidding. So before mankind, God had an eternal spiritual family. We were not the first things that God created. God initially created powerful spiritual beings that were to uh, uh, inhabit his presence with him and serve him and uh, uh, be in subjection to him. We know these powerful beings now as angels or uh, now demons, powers, principalities. These are powerful spiritual beings that God created before us, and they were part of God's family. They were, they were part of his uh, royal court, if you will. You could call this the divine council. And all of these beings were in subjection to God. God. That is, until Satan initiates the first sin, which was ultimately rebellion against Yahweh, the one true God, the one all-powerful creator. And from that moment on, rebellion was really the one thing that, that decided all other things. That one fact, whether you were loyal to Yahweh or in rebellion against him, is ultimately why heaven and hell became necessary realities. You see, because God is holy and anything that rebels against him is sinful and therefore cannot be tolerated in his presence. And so because of that, you have heaven where all things are in subjection to him and you have hell where things are in rebellion to him. You see, heaven by nature is God's home. It's where all things live under surrender and subjection to the Father. And ultimately, that's what heaven is. We've been talking about heaven for two, now three weeks. And if you want a a phrase that can kind of sum up the nature of heaven, what heaven is and and what heaven is about, I I would say that it's this. Heaven is a place where all created things live in complete surrender to their maker, perfectly living out their greatest purpose and ever-increasing potential, both for their joy and pleasure and for the glory and pleasure of the Father. That's what heaven is. Heaven is a place where all created things live in complete surrender to to their maker, perfectly living out their greatest purpose and ever-increasing potential, both for their joy and pleasure and for the glory and pleasure of the Father. Hell, however, is the opposite. While in heaven everything lives out its perfect purpose, In hell, everything is completely and irreparably broken. In hell, not a single purpose for which anything is made is experienced. Think about that. In hell, not a single purpose for which anything is made is experienced. For instance, we were made for community and belonging. Hell will be complete and utter isolation, loneliness, and rejection. It will not be a party. We were made for joy. Hell will be unending, always increasing despair and sorrow. We were made to have life and vitality in heaven. In heaven, we will experience eternal, perfect health, which sounds awesome. But in hell, you'll experience perpetual and increasing pain and decay. Heaven is a place where all of our purest desires and greatest dreams are realized. Hell is the experience of eternal regret, always aware of what could have been and realizing that it will never be experienced. Heaven is a place of perfect confidence and peace. Hell is a place of unending anxiety and instability. In heaven we were made to experience innumerable visual and physical pleasures and experiences. But hell is an eternal void. Sucking every ounce of pleasure from you in an instant and leaving you in a black hole of unquenched desire. The always increasing agony of a longing for respite that never comes. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) See, one thing that I think many of us don't realize or think about is that the state in which we currently live in is not the truest picture of reality. We live under both the curse and simultaneously the grace of God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, um, uh, his character Aslan, who is his figure for Christ, calls earth, and actually Narnia in some cases, the shadow lands. And I think that that is a perfect analogy for, for what this earth is. You see, This earth is a shadow of both heaven and hell. It is not a perfect reflection of our ultimate cosmic destiny. You see, on earth, we will experience things that are like heaven. Every shadow of heaven that we experience on earth will be eternally realized in the real heaven. In the same way, every shadow of hell that we experience on earth will be made fully manifest in the eternal hell. See, when it comes to eternity, there are no second chances. There are no do-overs. This short time that we have in the shadow lands is all we have. And what you do with it will determine your eternal destiny. That's a sobering thought. The problem is that nearly everybody outside the church, and I I would propose a surprising number of people inside the church think that most people are going to heaven. Hell is just reserved for like serial killers and Hitler. That those are the only people that go to hell. But Jesus gives us a hard truth for many to swallow. In Matthew 7:13 through 14, Jesus himself says, "You can enter into God's kingdom only through the narrow gate." The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, who choose that way. You see, God will give you what you choose. And so if this life, if you choose to live apart from him, apart from his grace, apart from the saving grace of Jesus, if you choose to live by your own rules and not by God's rules, God will give you what you choose for eternity. But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. See, heaven is not our default destination. Randy Alcorn, uh, in the book Heaven, he has this quote, It is far too easy to go to hell. It requires no changes of course, no navigational adjustments. We were born with our autopilot set toward hell. And historically, the Western church has built an unbiblical doctrine of escapism around heaven and hell. It has been taught widely in the church that the world would grow darker and darker and darker until one day, just before it got too dark, Christ would come and rescue his faithful off the earth so that he could destroy and condemn the earth itself and everything on it. And then we would live forever with God in some unearthly place. And some of you may believe that, or at least part of that today, and unfortunately that's terribly unbiblical and it's a damaging theology. And the damage that it has fostered is this attitude in the church that this world is all going to burn anyway, and so who cares if it goes to pot? You see, what we think about our current earth and its future have massive implications for how we live our lives right now. So tonight we're going to correct that theology. Okay, how's that for an intro? Okay, everybody buckle up for another hour. I don't need that cap anyway. So if you're taking notes, the title of this message is Living in Light of Eternity. In light of heaven and hell, how are we to live our lives right now? And like I said, Katie and Ryan did a great job of giving us a picture of what heaven is like, but there's really one thing that both of them mentioned that I think gets to the heart of the message that I'm bringing tonight, and it's this. Our eternal home is not an ethereal, spirit-only existence in some otherworldly place. It will be a physical existence with physical experiences in a physical new and redeemed earth. Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-seven through 28 says, I will make my home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. It does not say that we will make our home among God. God says, I will come and make my home among them. Yeah. Revelation twenty-one twenty says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And again, in his book, Randy Alcorn says, the new, sorry, the new earth will not be a non-earth, but a real earth. Romans 8, 19 through 23 says this, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to, the frustra- to frustration, not by its own choice, but by of the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, and that's true right now. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly As we wait eagerly, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, all creation was subject to the curse because of man's sins. If you go back to Genesis 3, because we sinned, all of creation was thrown into chaos and decay. So the reason why the universe is broken is because of us. But verse 21 says that it was in hope that eventually it would be liberated from that death and decay. And brought back into the freedom that the children of God have. That the creation would be brought into the freedom of the children of God. And verse 23 says what that freedom is. That that freedom is at least in part the redemption of our bodies. So this passage is saying that all creation groans for what all the children of God will eventually receive. And the, what the children of God are expecting. And that's redemption. And so, Paul here is rightly expecting that just as we are redeemed, so this world will also be redeemed. Just as our old bodies will not be destroyed or annihilated, so this earth will also not be destroyed or annihilated, but it will be purified, redeemed, and renewed. John Piper says, What happens to our bodies and what happens to creation go together. And what happens to our bodies is not annihilation, but redemption. Our bodies will be redeemed, restored, and made new, not thrown away. And so it will be with the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1.20 says, Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. The Greek word there for everything means everything. All <laughs> things. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. So let me ask you this. Do you think that that which God has reconciled to himself and that which God has made peace with will be destroyed? Hard for me to make that argument. God says that he has reconciled everything to himself and has made peace with everything. And so you might say, okay, fine, this world will last, it will be purified, whatever, but who cares? Why why does that matter? Because if this present earth is not being annihilated but renewed and redeemed, then what we do here on this earth has a lot more importance and permanence than a lot of us may realize. What we do here on this earth has a lot more importance and permanence than we may realize. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, therefore, pause. This is why it's going to take until next Sunday. I'm kidding. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to figure out what the therefore is there for. And this therefore happens to be there because of the previous 57 verses in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. So what is that therefore, therefore? In the first 57 verses, Paul talks about Basically, our resurrection and the redemption of all things. That's what the first 57 verses are about. And so Paul says, therefore, in light of the resurrection of our bodies, in light of the redemption of all things, my dear brothers, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, because the earth will not be destroyed but but renewed, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor won't be destroyed or burned up, but it will be redeemed, purified, renewed, and it will last for all eternity. It will last for all eternity. You see, and this extends far beyond leading people to Christ. You see, it's easy for us to connect something like leading someone to Christ and that having permanence in heaven. It's easy for us to connect the dots between the spiritual things that we do here and that having an eternal place in heaven. What's difficult for us is to connect the dots between the physical things that we do here and their permanence in heaven. And this mostly stems from our tendency to reject or at the very least uh, at the very least, assign less value to things that are physical. And the reason why we do that is because we have never known life without a broken and corrupted physical world. Everything that is physical in this world is broken and corrupt and in decay. But that doesn't mean that's the way God made it. In the beginning, God's creation was perfect. It was not corrupt. Physical things in themselves are not bad or evil. It's the curse and corruption that makes them evil. And so it might sound weird to us that some of our physical labors for the Lord will will remain, not just the spiritual ones. Moses actually understood this. David records a prayer of Moses in Psalm 90, and Moses says this in verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us, of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hand upon us. The Hebrew word for establish there means to make permanent, to continue into eternity. That's what the word established there means in Hebrew. So Moses is praying, God, what we do here on this earth, the physical things that I do, would you make them permanent for all of eternity? That's a profound statement. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that we already have, Jesus Christ, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work, and if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Revelation 14:13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds will follow them. Both of these verses very clearly show that there are things other than ourselves that will survive into the next life. There are things other than ourselves that will survive into the next life. And it's not just that we will be rewarded for what we did on earth. Some of the things that we do here on earth themselves will survive. The passage in 1 Corinthians 3 says that if what we have built survives, this is the, the gold, the silver, the costly stones, the things of value, those things will be purified, and that will survive. The passage never indicates that it will survive and then be tossed out. The passage also never indicates that it's, that it's an exchange program for a reward. It doesn't indicate that your works will be purified. Whatever comes out on the other end, you get a gift or some sort of reward in exchange for that, and then that's tossed aside. It does not indicate that. The Bible talks very... Uh, often about gold or silver being refined and purified in a crucible. So what sense does it make to purify a bar of gold and then say, okay, cool, it's pure? Yeah. Right? Like, would the Heavenly Father really do that? Would the things, the things that God finds valuable after his purifying fire has refined them, would the Father say, okay, that was good, now we'll toss it? Rather, this verse seems to imply that the fire that tests and purifies us will also test and purify our deeds, and all that pleases him, all that he finds valuable, will remain. Randy Alcorn has another great quote. God's fire will not destroy the whole earth. It will destroy all that displeases him. But there is much that pleases him. And these things will endure the fire to be reconstituted after the final resurrection of the dead. Not only will acts of obedience and spiritual sacrifices be carried over from one world to the next, but everything else good will also last forever. So why am I making this point? It's not just so that you have right theology about heaven, although I am very passionate about us having right theology about a lot of things, including heaven. But it's because when we understand the true nature of heaven, it should have a massive impact on the way that we live our lives right now. Shouldn't it? See, 2020 is coming to an end, and maybe you've been feeling lost or lonely. Maybe you've been feeling uh, confused or exposed or depressed or chaotic and crazy like much of 2020 has been. And if that's you this morning this evening, hard to break old habits. If that's you, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. And catch a glimpse of heaven. Meditate on it. Long for it. Not to escape, but to catch a vision of heaven and understand what we need to do down here. Everything you do on this earth has purpose and the potential for being eternal. Everything. See, when we understand that there is a direct link between what we do here on earth and what will be carried into the new earth, into eternity, then everything that you do matters. Everything that you do has a purpose and the potential for being eternal. So if you feel like 2020 has been a trash year and you can't wait for it to be over, let me tell you something. Unless your perspective changes, 2021 is going to be no different. Was 2020 hard? Oh, yeah. Was 2020 a year unlike any of us have seen in our entire lifetimes? Absolutely. But do you think God is in heaven saying, you know what, that was a sucky year. Let's just throw that one away. No way. Are you kidding me? God is saying, wake up, church. Lift your eyes to me. Take your eyes off of what's going on on this present earth and look at what I'm doing for the new earth. Take your eyes off of this earth and look at me. Don't see what the world sees, but look at what I see. Because if we were looking at 2020 with a heavenly perspective, we would realize that the chances to say things and do things that would have an eternal impact were unbelievably abundant. I would argue more abundant than any other year in our lifetimes. But I'm afraid that in the majority, we have missed it. Now, I don't want to throw too much shade because it has been a massive learning experience for all of us, but we can't continue to miss it. We cannot continue to miss it. You see, if your perspective is still on a present earth level and not on a new earth level, you will continue to run the risk of having another wasted year. Because the next hard year will come, the next 2020 Will come, And if your perspective has not changed, you will find yourself at Christmas saying, man, what a wasted year. What a waste. I missed this. I missed that. There were so many disappointments. So many things went wrong. What a waste. But let me tell you something, church. Your Father does not allow anything into your life to be wasted unless we waste it. Your Father does not allow anything into your life to be wasted unless we waste it. So let's lift our eyes. Let's catch a vision for heaven and live our lives for eternity and have eternity as our focus. Bruce Milne says, every kingdom work, whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, partakes in the kingdom's imperishable character. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance to temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every routine engagement, every motion of worship, every struggle towards obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything literally, which flows out of our faith relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming and so church let's let's use our sanctified imaginations about what things will be made perfect in the new heaven this is not letting your flesh imagination run, run wild. See, God has sanctified our minds if you believe in him and he is your savior. Let's use our sanctified imaginations about what will be in heaven. So just think about what makes a father proud. What things does a father hold value in? What things bring joy to a father or a mother? Like that first finger painting that your child makes that looked like seems to slightly resemble a stick figure and a house? right? Despite being terribly imperfect, a good father sees the perfection and the value in it and proudly displays it on his fridge. So what makes us think that a perfect father will not take our terribly imperfect works and perfect them and then proudly display them on his proverbial fridge? see, he finds joy in the works of his children. And he will receive glory when his creation, perfected by his power, is placed on display. God will be glorified in that. So Kate and Cody, are you in here? They're probably downstairs. Oh, there's Cody. Kate and Cody, your service in having foster children in your house. The Lord sees you. He's proud of you. And that obviously has a massive spiritual impact on those kids' lives that enter, your, that enter your home. But I believe it also has a physical impact on their lives, things that will last for eternity. So keep going. Keep it up. The Lord sees your good deeds and they will follow you. Peyton and Dalton. The short time that we had Z in our lives. God sees you, and he's proud of you. I'm proud of you. And you know that the spiritual impact that you had on his life will absolutely remain for eternity, but he is such a living example of the physical impact that you have had on his life, and I believe something of that will also remain in eternity. Keep it up. All of the youth leaders in this room, You are having a massive impact on the next generation, a generation that I believe will change this city for the good of the kingdom. And there are obviously things that you are doing in their lives spiritually that are planting seeds that will birth fruit in the future, but there are also physical things that you are doing in their lives and through them that will also last for eternity. Recognize that and keep it up. The business owners in this room, Pat, Jared, Biggs, Ryan and Sarah, Stephen Dene. If there are others of you, I'm sorry. The way that you conduct your business, the way that you speak to your customers, the way that you lead your employees as a, as a servant leader and not as a dictatorial leader, the quality of the work that you do, done to the worship of your Father, not for your own glory. The Father sees your good deeds, He finds them valuable. And some of them he may honor and purify them and say, that will last for eternity with us in heaven. Rochelle and Blakers, Where's Blake? Could it be that some of the songs that you are writing, the songs that we sing here on this earth will also be sung by multitudes? And heaven in the throne room of God. The Father sees your good deeds. He values them immensely. And one day He may purify them and they will last with us in eternity. I can think of a great example in my own salvation story. I went to a, a Christian school, and in kindergarten, uh, as a project, our teacher had us make this wordless book. Some of you may not know what a wordless book is. Basically, it's a book without words. Yeah. And, but each page represents basically a, a, a part of the gospel story. It represents uh, uh, the creation and our fall and our need for a Savior and how our Savior was supplied to us. You can see how, how awesome my scissor skills were as a five-year-old. Pretty sweet. It's not too bad. Actually, to be honest, my scissor skills probably haven't improved so much since I was five. I'm just I'm just just saying. So anyway we made we made this in, in kindergarten class and I didn't really think much of it, just doing another project in class. And then I came home and uh My sweet mother was making cookies, and I love helping my mom in the kitchen. And, of course, being five, I was too short to help on the counter, so I had to pull up a chair. I can still see that chair. I can still see it right now as plain as I did then. And my mom said, what would you do to school today, buddy? I showed her my book. And as we went through page by page, I can remember the feeling every bit now as I did then. As we went through page by page, the Lord began to peel back the scales from my eyes so that I could see his plan for my life, his love for me and my need for him. And in that moment, I believe my mother saw what was happening in my heart. And she took the opportunity to say, Buddy, do you want to give your life to Jesus? I said, Yeah. Yeah, I do. And so we prayed and, and I just I just started crying. That that moment marked me so much as a five-year-old, and I can see and feel everything now just as much as I did then. And it's insignificant as these pieces of construction paper are, I believe that they are immensely valuable to my Heavenly Father. Immensely valuable. Because it was the catalyst that He used to open my heart to His love, to open my eyes to His saving grace. It was the catalyst that He used, along with the love of my mother, to draw me into His family and crown me as a son of the living God. This has immense value to the Father, and I fully believe that in some form, this little sucker right here will remain in heaven, most likely somewhere in my mother's mansion. You see, church, there's so much more at stake here than we realize what we do here on earth not just with our spiritual gifts but with our physical ones has immense value and potential permanence it has much further reaching implications than many of us have been taught we have underestimated the true extent of God's plan for redemption and for our role in it for God's plan of the redemption of the earth you see church the devil would love nothing more than to convince you that you have nothing to do with God's role of redemption on this earth. There's been a cosmic war raging ever since Satan rebelled, and you and I are in the thick of it. Ever since that first sin, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has, has not tried to defeat God. That has not been Satan's mission because he knows he can't defeat God. But Satan's mission has been to steal, kill, and destroy every bit of creation that he can get his hands on, especially mankind. That is what Satan's mission has been. And for a time it appeared that he was largely succeeding. Until the first Christmas. You see, what we envision as this silent, calm, serene, glorious moment with angels singing and wise men gifting and cows mooing was really the establishment of a beachhead, of an all-out offensive in this brutal cosmic war against darkness. That's what the first Christmas really was. It was an all-out offensive against the darkness, and Christ's mission was to really... Take everything that Satan had corrupted and make it new. And then Satan's worst fears were realized. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he forever forever broke the power of sin and death. But it also did something more. It was the catalyst by which his Holy Spirit was disseminated into the church. And that was Satan's worst fear because the very people that Satan had sought to destroy became the agents that would be used to undo everything that he had sought to accomplish, to unravel all of the brokenness that he had unleashed on this world. See, Jesus came in to usher rebirth and renewal of this earth, but he does it by renewing us. Jesus came to jumpstart the process of making all things new, but he makes all things new through us. Through our renewed minds and our renewed natures, through our spiritual gifts and the physical resources that he he has given to us. Christ says, with those things, go into all the world and make disciples of me. Start to make this earth look like the new earth that I will come back to inhabit. Go out and make disciples. Give them the life-changing, the soul-changing, the spirit-changing power of my spirit and my presence. And with that spirit, begin to change the culture of your home. Change the culture of your neighborhood. Change the culture of your city and your state. And make it look like my character. Make it look like my righteousness. Make it look like the kingdom that I am coming back for. Because Jesus says, I am not pulling you out of this earth. I'm coming back to renew this earth. I'm not pulling you out of this earth. I'm coming back to renew it. And so God commissions us like him to make all things new. We have been given the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. And his mind is to renew and restore. And if we have been given the mind of Christ, and if we are being made into the image of Christ, like Romans 8 talks about, then we should be doing what Christ does, to renew and restore. To transform the broken things around us and by the power of this, the Holy Spirit, rebuild them to the glory of God. So, if you have put your trust in Jesus this morning, not only do you bear his image, but you carry his presence. He has placed himself in the form of the Spirit inside of you. God lives inside of you. And he has chosen to live inside of you. If that, does not, if that one fact does, that make, does not make you feel immensely valuable, then I don't know what will. God has chosen to make his home in you. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with him? So don't come to me and say that God hasn't given me any gifts. He has given you himself. At the very least, start with that. Yeah. God has given you himself. See, Jesus was Emmanuel. He is God with us. But Jesus said, it's better that I go away because it will usher in a new era of God in us. It will usher in a new era of God in us. See, God had placed himself within us so he could start to make all things new through us. The question is, are we wasting it? Or are you partnering with God in you so that he can start to make all things new through you? Christ gives us a new mind, a new nature. He gives us spiritual gifts and physical resources and he says, get to work. Take me with you everywhere you go. Transform everything that you touch. And it won't be perfect but one day he will come back and purify and renew all of the work that we have done to make this earth look like the new earth. And so church, let's not be people that miss our mission and bail on this earth. Let's be people with a new earth perspective. And let's pray as Moses did. God, would you make permanent the works of our hands. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna offer you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you need to repent for this wasted year. Maybe like me, you have spent much of this year wallowing in your own sorrow or shame or the disappointments that this year has brought and you have failed to look higher and catch a vision of heaven so that you can know what your purpose is down here. Maybe that's what you need to repent of like me. Maybe this is a a recommissioning for you. Maybe you had no idea that the things that you do on this earth have a a direct link to what the new earth is going to be like. And maybe, maybe you need a recommissioning to live out that purpose. This is an opportunity for that. Or maybe you need to repent for the very first time. Maybe all of this talk about heaven, heaven and hell has started to stir something within you. And much like when my mother was walking me through that gospel story, maybe God has, God has started to peel back some scales from your eyes and you're beginning to see things more clearly, things that you've never seen before. And maybe you need to meet Jesus for the first time. If that's you, as we're singing this song, I would love to introduce you to your Savior. Come and find me. I'll be right here. I would love to introduce you to your Savior. And so, church, whatever you need to do, if you need to repent of something, if you need a a, a recommissioning, if you need to lift the weight that 2020 has put on your shoulders and take on the freedom of the presence of God, and the purpose that he has for your life in 2021, if you want a new perspective for what you're going to be doing this next year, not to leave 2020 behind, but to learn from it and say, God, what purpose do you have for me this next year? If if you need that, come forward and respond. And so as we sing this song, as you feel led, come to the altar and do whatever business with God that you need to do come as you're ready